again, Planet Earth and Points Beyond. It's the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, Series 4, and I'm your host, Jason Rutledge. It's Episode 3 of this series, and in this installment, we're talking about family. Bonding as a family unit, accepting your kids for who they are, even if that kid refuses to wear pants and occasionally tries to claw your face off. Yes, we're talking about the Larry Cohen classic of cinema, It's Alive. Nathan, Katie, and Joe are here to discuss this. Plus, at an announcement, we have a special guest in the house. It's one of the It's Alive babies, right here in the studio right now. It's under a couch, but I think I can lure it out with one of these bags of turkey bites Nathan keeps leaving in the commissary. Oh, that's nice. No, no, whoa, don't be scared. It's okay. I'll close the bag. Wait, stop! Ten more. You gotta find somebody to pay you in shovels. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Okay. Oh, I'll check out Offer Up. There's got to be an ad on there. Somebody going, "I will pay you in shovels." Well, I guess we'll see if I can do the intro without fucking it up. Okay. So we're gonna start in England, 1816. It's the Industrial Revolution, and if you have the misfortune of being working class, things really aren't going that great for you. First off, you're poor. The food is suspicious. Pollution is absolutely everywhere. And if you're a woman, things are even worse. Uh, Not only are you not eating well and breathing in who knows what, but you're under a lot of pressure to start a family and have children, even though by now, the possibility of an English woman dying in childbirth was one out of five. It's an alarming fact, and one that was probably very much on the mind of Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Now, she had already survived having one child, but was under a lot of pressure from her husband Percy to take a chance and have another one. That cloud was hanging over Shelley as she and her husband traveled to Switzerland in that summer of 1816. That was the summer when Shelley began writing Frankenstein, which is, after all, the story of a man whose own creation, his own child, destroys him. Fast forward 150 years or so, and the Industrial Revolution is over, but a new one is underway, a revolution in society. Parents are watching in horror as their own children march in the streets, demand rights and things, possibly even smoke the marijuana cigarettes. Their own kids were trying to make changes, sometimes very violently. The fabric of the world those parents had taken for granted and had taken advantage of for their whole lives was under assault. Their very identities were being questioned and possibly erased. With all that going on, you might understand, if on some dark night... A man would look down on his newborn baby's crib with some apprehension, then lift his head to the sky and cry out, like Victor Frankenstein did all those years ago, it's alive. Welcome everyone to the Smooth Thrills Radio Hour, coming to you from Old East Dallas. Nathan, Katie, Joe, welcome back. So how are we feeling? Do you feel alive? (laughs) Feeling good? I know for some of you, this is the first time you've seen it, Katie. I think this was your first introduction mm-hmm. to this movie. Yeah, let's hear from the newbies first here. So, Katie, was this the first time you'd seen It's Alive? Yes. And um, it's definitely one of those, like, if you ever... <laughs> Katie, uh, how many internal voices are speaking out for you at this moment? Um, that's not on my end. <laughs> Well, I should hope not, but we were talking about chili earlier. 
Oh. <laughs> chili Palmer. No, I, um, yeah, chili cone cookie. Having grown up going to like video rental shops and everything, it was definitely a cover that I've always been familiar with. But this was my first time watching it. And I have to be honest, it's not at all what I thought it was going to hmm. be. I wasn't expecting like mutant baby. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting out of it. But definitely not what it ended up being. Were you expecting to see Milkman delivering milk? I was I very was happy with the Milkman. The dead Milkman. Actually, about. my thought process was... I love oh! the dead Milkman. Because um, it was set in the 70s, right? Right, yes. 74. So for a while, I just sat there and was like, were there even Milkmen in the 70s? But I also didn't realize it was set in England until your intro. So It was not. No, okay, but it wasn't. Okay, started. he was just setting the tone for the Mary Shelley oh, yeah. person. Yeah. There's oh, no milk okay. in England. There's England's no milk in England. Milk. No, they've been out of milk since World War II. It's a shame. I yeah. um, I just didn't know there <laughs> were milk the cows in the seventies. That was my one takeaway from the film. Well, one thing Nathan and I talked about, I think last week was. This was the first time I'd seen this movie in a long time, and I'd forgotten what a slow burn this thing is. It really, oh, extremely. It, it does take a while to get going. There's not a lot of, you know, nowadays we would put a kill in every There's 11 minutes or so. 30 minutes of them getting really excited to go to the hospital. The calmest <laughs> going into labor scene no. I've ever seen in anything. There yeah. was no like, urgency at all. They no, were just, it was really like, nailing home time. that like, we're happy. Yeah. We're so happy we're going to drop our kid off with this guy that's very well, suspicious. Now, about to be fair, the, this is their second child in the movie, so they're probably accustomed to this by now. Yeah, but I'm sure there's still like contractions and pain mm -hmm. and stuff mm -hmm. like that that would probably make her not as calm as she was, whether you're expecting it or not. As I think the only one in this, this group that has gone through two with their significant other... It doesn't get any easier. I mean, for her, it got a little bit easier, but it, it was still very urgent. Well, I think this was like a calm before the storm situation. Do you though. still have to pay your hospital bill if it, all the doctors I, get killed? We just, we, once the baby came out, we're, we just fucking noped out. So how are we feeling about, there's a, there's a bit of ambiguity in this movie in that they never really present you with what caused the situation. They hint yeah, at there's environmental mm -hmm. causes. They talk about maybe it was the government for a second, but it's never really made clear. Even the in the sequels, control. I don't think they really ever said for sure what was the hell was going on. No, but that I think the he didn't want to delve into that because then mm -hmm. you start doing like societal commentary and and he there's a mm -hmm. bit of that in these, but he's more interested in what he would say creating a benevolent. Force. Like monster, essentially. So you take something that's perfectly innocent and turning it to, mm -hmm. you know, the worst case scenario, which might go hand in hand with the whole delivery process and why it's so calm and soothing is how would you predict it could end up the way it did, you know? But which is why I, I think like there's the not a whole lot of thought into it, maybe. That's why I like the conversation with the son when he was talking about how it was possible for the mother to die in the birthing process and then the yeah. dad's like no she'll be fine and i thought that that was a, a nice foreshadowing of what was to come oh i love that whole that whole conversation and john p ryan so underrated he's a great actor and he has so many great moments in this but sadly this, this, is, this is, is pretty his, much uh, his only lead role yeah 
you know, unless you're counting the sequel, but. No, he was in It Lives Again for the first, what, 10, 15 minutes or so, and then they handed off to Chef. He's in it for well over an hour into it. Is the sequel worth a watch? I, yeah, I, I, in fact, I prefer the sequel, actually. It's a bit different. It takes a different tack. Um, It's still mostly shot at Larry Cohen's house. So you recognize it from the first Very much so. With the pool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a very different movie. And the third one is completely different. When they banish all the mutant kids to Isla Sorna or wherever the hell it is. And (laughs) that whole thing. But now John P. Ryan was in Five Easy Pieces. He was in Future World, Three O'Clock High. One of your favorites, Nathan. That's where I knew. The Columbian Connection. But yeah, I think this yeah. was his only leading role. Yeah, I was trying I mean, to play some the entire movie. I couldn't figure out he's where in, he's I'd in Bound. He's in um, he's the villain in Avenging Force, another canon classic. And the interesting thing about him being in Delta Force Two is that he had to change his name. If you notice in It's Alive, he's billed as John Ryan. By the mm-hmm. time they did it, It's Alive again, he's billed as John P. Ryan. He could afford so it was some type of. Yeah. Yeah, maybe but um there was some kind of conflict to where there was another actor i'm not sure who it was at that time but when he did years later when in 1990 he does delta force 2 and by that point there was another john ryan actor out there who's in delta force 3 oh, very shit. confusing <laughs> he was always the original john ryan i wish he just stuck with that but and then you have jack ryan into the mix and it's even yeah. weirder Joe, Katie, is this your first Larry Cohen experience or no? No. Um, I don't think so. But I'm honestly not sure. I will check. Well, surely you've seen God Told Me To or Cue the Winged Serpent. Black Caesar? No? No. I'm pretty Uh, sure I've seen something of his, though. No, but I really want to. When I was a kid, I saw the stuff, and that was one of those, like, that and Mm -hmm. Dead Heat are the two movies that kind of stuck with me that I saw, like, on Channel 27 Sunday matinee type of thing. Same Uh, studio. So, like, yeah, that was was my first. Wow. The stuff is a weird TV Sunday matinee pick. That's one you don't see many people reaching for off the shelf. Ah, you know. That's where I saw it. I think that's, that's a good starter, though. If you've not seen any other Larry Cohen films... You can go into this, like the stuff, and know what to expect if you watch some of those others. Like a lot of it's tongue in cheek, and he doesn't take himself completely seriously. He's just having fun. Wasn't the It's Alive only his second directorial effort in movies? I think he'd done Bone Fourth. No. Yeah. Because yeah. oh, he did Black Caesar and, and uh, Hell Up in Harlem. Well, they were yeah. shooting Hell Up in Harlem simultaneously along with It's Alive. Like they were shooting Hell Up in Harlem during the week and then on weekends would shoot It's Alive and the same editor yeah. was working on both at the same time. I was getting completely yeah. confused about what the hell he was supposed to be doing. And both Black Caesar <laughs> movies released the same year. I mean, it's yeah. pretty insane if you think about that. I'm pretty sure I've seen his Master of Horror episode. Oh, but yeah, Michael it. Moriarty. Yeah, that was his return. Mm-hmm. Wait. He wrote Phone Booth? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. (laughs) He did. Well, speaking of Black Caesar and Help in Harlem getting released on the same year, It's Alive had one of the most bonkers releases, I think, in in movies, because it was released to dollar theaters first, and then got stuck on a shelf for, what was it, two, three years, 
while the top brass at uh, the studio changed hands. I think it was Warner Brothers. Yeah. And then whoever the new guy was at Warner Brothers found it in their catalog and said, hey, let's put this one out. And then it got its actual release back into theater. So it kind of did the whole thing backwards. Didn't It's Alive Again or whatever it's called, the sequel, um, didn't that come out in 78? So that was only like four years later. Yeah. Right. But like really it was based off of the reissue in 76 of the original because he knew some of the heads of the studio, the ones that had taken over in Warner Brothers, and he kind of persuaded them. He goes, look, they just dumped my movie into theaters. And if you look at it, it's, it feels like it's an American international film anyway, but it feels as mm. if it got that treatment and why it came from a major studio is a little strange, but they didn't think anything of it. And they said, we like this. We want to, can you make a sequel for us? So, yeah. So really it's almost like a two year gap because the sensationalism of it was in 76. And it was at one point the number one movie in the country, I believe. I was going to say for the fact that it got two sequels, it had to have done numbers somehow. Mm-hmm. Because back then they didn't typically give no. the green light on things that didn't do. Well, Larry Cohen somehow. originally had a trilogy in mind with this. <laughs> it's going to culminate. I don't know about that. On a, on a mutant baby island. Wasn't the third movie like compensation for make getting him to do Return to Salem's Lot um, or something like well, that? Well, he made a, a deal. Like They weren't exactly straight to video, but they were looking for movies that would flourish on home video at the time. Although I believe both of those films he did had theatrical runs, very brief ones. He The deal was he they wanted him to do a sequel to Salem's Lot. And then they said, you can make whatever other type of movie you want. In fact, you can make another It's Alive if you want to. They didn't, like, pressure him into it. Hmm. And, you know, all he has to do is call his buddies, James Dixon and Michael Moriarty, and you get It's Alive 3, I will be alive. Yeah. And James Dixon's the only through line of all three films, by he the way. He appears in all three, yeah. And for James a, Dixon for a, was a, one of those guys. He was in everything. He did a bunch yeah. of Larry Cohen movies. Oh, most everything. Yeah, Cohen was one of those guys that worked with his people. And we've talked about this on other episodes that they some directors just have that stable of crew and actors that they work with all the time. And outsiders have a hard time getting into that mix. But yeah. And he did what he wanted. Nobody really fucked with him. I mean, if you, he, he was like. Yeah, as long as you knew how to get to his house, you could be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I tried that. That's probably why he worked with the same group of people. I mean, he didn't they have to give him directions. Yeah, <laughs> give him direct, didn't have to give him directions. Yeah, absolutely. It's Alive is also remarkable for being one of the first movies that Rick Baker worked on when he was still working out of his garage. I was going to ask who who did the effects for it. Yeah, that's, uh, that was a name I noticed right there in the opening credits. Rick Baker and partially yeah. Rick Baker's girlfriend, who was the in the suit for some of the shots of the baby. <laughs> creeping around the oh, wait how is that possible uh, whenever the baby never changed sizes at all there's some close-up shots that's actually a person in a, a suit if you freeze oh, yeah, frame the in just the right spot scene, you can, you can see someone's eyes peeking out from behind a mask is that baker's girlfriend or was that larry cohen's wife that did it too i think oh she might have also i don't remember i don't see why he wouldn't have gotten his wife involved too who knows yeah there was a, a Small version of the baby. There's the puppet version is a little bit bigger. 
at the end when he's wrapped up in a towel, it's actually a dog, I think, and not a, not the <laughs> baby itself. Well, you can see like a tail stick out at one point when he messes with <laughs> the towel. Who's to say that that weird ass baby wouldn't a have a tail? Yeah, we never saw the baby ass at any time. Baby if ass. you watch the third one, you, you, see, ba- you see baby ass in the sequel, <laughs> yeah. You see a lot of baby ass in the third one and some in the Is Warwick one. Davis in the third one? <laughs> I, wish. I really wish. <sighs> that would have been gold. But you've got you've got Michael Moriarty <laughs> in it and Karen Black. I mean, what more could you want? One uh, thing I noticed through all three of them, but especially in the first one, that the focus is almost entirely on the father which I thought was a little strange. The The mother just kind of disappears and rocks back and forth in the middle of the room watching cartoons, and that's about all she does. Well, she, I think it would have to ma- be... It's a very male-focused had- movie. Well, well she, yeah, because the woman's not going to want to destroy it. Well, and then also... No, she's, she's also going through trauma. Care of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's secretly caring for it that the viewer can't know yet. Anything yeah, there's the, the whole thing with the, with the brother... Yeah. kind of escaping and maybe she knows he's on his way to the house maybe not and i think sharon farrell doesn't get enough credit either because her she performance really is pretty good. great yeah like because she starts getting weird yeah and like he can't mm-hmm. trust her slowly yeah it's gradual it's very gradual process oh that, that I, w- I wanted to watch a whole movie of her in that process uh, you know just the evolution of that was it was just mm. It was very interesting to me. Whereas the, well, the guy, you know, you know, from the start, he's like, this baby ain't no relation of mine. Probably just a coincidence. Look, Perkins, I want this thing destroyed as much as anybody else. You realize that? Yeah, you realize. But why is everybody looking at me? Yeah. Like it's my own flesh and blood or something. Well, it's not. You understand? No relation to me. Nobody's looking at you. That's what I found really interesting, is he keeps saying, it's not related to me, and he tells his first kid, it's not related to us. So was he implying that his wife did a switch to birth thing or was fooling around with some other monster dude that he wasn't aware of or something? A monster dude? No, I think it's I don't just know. Clayface from Batman, want- maybe? Maybe I so. I don't know. She was fooling around <laughs> with Clayface and had this other kid. He's very well, I insistent. Mean, nobody not wants related. to be related to an abomination. Like I don't think it necessarily goes that deep. That was, I think one of the the officers said that, or Lieutenant, what's his nuts? Uh, whenever he said <laughs> he said no, that's smart. No, it was it was one of the. I think it was the professor from the the university said, you know, mm. it's it's good that you say that because you're emotionally distancing yourself from it. It makes yeah. this process easier when we destroy it. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's that's obviously I think what he was doing was just mentally preparing himself for the yeah. eventuality. But big twist, you don't see him falling in love at the end. And then putting his coat on him and running out the sewers with him. And then no, he yeah. tries to, he does kind of turn. He realizes that he hurt his child. Yeah. And now he's becoming like the, the mother in a sense. Yeah. He totally like flipped around. That's the great thing. I think we talked about whether or not this was planned as a trilogy. It lives so. again. It wasn't, but it, it's a really good sequel in the sense that it, it continues the themes the way you'd expect you wouldn't expect maybe well i think that just speaks to larry cohen's strength as a writer why didn't we get a stuff to still stuffing it 
I think he wanted to do one. He wanted to. We be stuffing. How did it do? (laughs) Stuffing up in Harlem. Crossover movie. Yeah. Yeah. How did the stuff do? I don't really remember it. I think I remember this. I remember the stuff being a big hit on the drive-in circuit and then on HBO after that. But I don't really remember much about it in theaters. I, I just loved it because it was like kind of the beginning of my fascination with films where mm. it focused on a child that couldn't trust adults. And I found mm. those movies the most horrific to me. Yeah, because you're meant to be able to trust adults. Yeah, exactly. When that's put in question, especially when you're yourself a, a child. Yeah. Well, it's a pretty common theme in all of Larry Cohen's work is taking this one thing that you were supposed to be able to take for granted and turning it on you. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your own kid in It's Alive or food in The Stuff. Or Aztec gods in Quetzalcoatl. I know. You'd think you could count on those guys, but here... You know, Rooftops on buildings. What are you going to do? Yeah. Who would have thought the wing serpent would turn? I'm glad I haven't seen that because I'm I'm still very trusting of Aztec gods. Who would have thought the wing serpent would turn against us like this? You know. (laughs) But isn't that kind of an overarching thing in horror in general? Maybe not like Hmm. all of them, but thematically, that's a a good mm -hmm. starting point. Really, the distrust of what you know. One thing this movie reminded me of. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry. No, I was going to veer off and talk about other movies. So. Well, this what this movie kind of reminded me of in a weird way was Basket Case. Yeah, I think that's what it reminds everybody of, just because the similarities of the box art. I mean, no, like he's talking about (laughs) the Basket Case three (laughs) artwork. Like it it has the pram on the cover. I just see like that's I. Those were always confused. I've never seen that, or I had never seen this. So to me, a low budget horror movie ripped off another low budget horror movie. The hell do you say? Basket case, maybe um, Sharon's baby, otherwise known as the devil within her, otherwise known as I don't want to be born. Which Wait, that we touched on in another episode. Joan, Joan, really Collins. Yeah. And this is a, I take it a Rosemary's baby. No, it's it kind of. It's such an odd movie. It involves a dwarf-based curse. It has four titles. Rosemary's Baby was Satanist. Yeah, a dwarf gets mad at Joan Collins, who's a stripper, and he curses her, and she has a a monster baby. Oh, I need to see this. Absolutely. (laughs) It's like being in the theater again. You love Andy Kaufman, right? I do, but I haven't seen God Told Me To. Oh, my God. You got to. I mean, I've seen his part on YouTube, but I haven't seen the movie. He's mm. not in it a lot. But the, Nathan, the great thing right. about Cohen that, was how... Sorry, what? No, I'm sorry, but you were right. That poster is amazing. Oh, I haven't yes. seen... You got to look up the poster? I didn't get to look up the poster. That's it. I'm watching the movie now. Fuck you guys. <laughs> but if you're like... If you're at a loss for... If you're looking around the house for a pair of scissors, look no further than that movie poster. It might be on there. Oh, shit. That <laughs> is a cool poster. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God! No, that's George Burns. Wait, no, I'm sorry. That's that's just oh god. Google Devil Within Her and then go to images and the one, two, three, four, fifth picture. Not Devil is and Miss Jones. Come on. I didn't say we're that. Not, we're not talking Georgina hey, Spellman. Quit it with your wisecrack for two seconds. All right there, Lenny Bruce. But he wouldn't be named. My wise acres. Yeah, Weisenheimers. There's just what a picture of the dwarf really close to Joan Collins' face, and it's really funny. <laughs> So, do you want to know what my favorite scene in this movie was? Sure. 
Nathan? I'll buy it. Catherine? No, that's not my name. Cat, Cat. Oh. What, what that, is your full name? Katie? There's a Ting Ting's reference right there. Yes. Okay, I apologize. No, it's okay. Katie. But uh, sure, I would love to know what, you, what your uh, favorite scene is. My favorite scene <laughs> is whenever they get to the school and they're all <laughs> running in and everything. They sound like the hamburger they had to, when they run into the school. Shut up, shut up Jason! I'm sorry. Shut up! It was their stomachs crying. Okay. They they used they used this just weird thing to bridge two takes, and it was it was the policeman bending over to drink out of the children's water fountain and stumbling as he's taking a drink. <laughs> And regaining his composure and getting up. And it's just amazing. It was just the best thing. It's one of my favorite things I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, <laughs> I praise. It's, it is. It was. Yeah, you didn't like it. You got to admit. I didn't like it. I loved that scene or that, I, that um, clip. I'm really curious at the beginning when he goes to wake up the sun how drugged that cat is that's in the bed. Because <laughs> when he starts like rubbing the cat on him or whatever the hell he's doing that cat is out of it i like, think that the cat was already dead no 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 it no they just found a dead was, cat but, you know. they just found a dead cat and rubbed it on yeah. the child yeah and then like later on they just threw some ketchup on him <laughs> there you go you were attacked by a baby he was probably really trusting of that baby too because he's been hanging out with this 11 year old for years it even it even changed the cat's perspective on children it taught the cat to hate by the way, and I'm sure Jason remembers this, It's Alive played a shit ton on USA Network back in the 80s. And it was oh, always yeah. on Commander USA's groovy oh, movies, yeah. along with It Lives Again. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, Commander mm-hmm. USA? Yes. Commander USA. I don't, I'm was... not familiar with Commander USA. I was Holy in the, the Ronda Shear era. So oh, yeah, and I, and I think it I think it actually had graced up all night a few times, but the contract had run out by that point. But I remember it uh, always being on Commander USA, and that was in the afternoon on a Saturday. Oh, yeah, okay. it would co- it would come on right after Kung Fu Theater usually, and his movie yes. was either going to be It's Alive or Manos Hand of Fate or Simon King of the Witches. I think there was one zombie one that was Death of Bruce Lee. Heavy, heavy I think rotation. I've seen Manos. You probably did, and it had some silhouettes in the in the bottom, and they cracked wise. It's just not often you guys say titles that I'm like pretty sure I've seen. Well, they they showed American Werewolf in London quite a few oh, times. I do love that. Commander USA. The episode one. No, they didn't show Phantom Menace. It was already off the air by that point. Yeah, it's alive. I'm a bit surprised. It's like, did everybody hate this movie or what? I mean, I didn't hate it. I probably I will never watch movie. it again. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Like, I, I really don't think I hated it. Like, there wasn't anything that made me hate it. I just didn't enjoy myself watching it. I was more interested in the environments, um, the era, just like the seeing outfits. the different uh, stuff. Because it's all, it's, it's all very real. Like, you're watching, like, Cheech mm-hmm. and Chong where they show the streets. You know, you're just, it's just... It's very of that era. It's very uh, organic and mm. just exactly as it was. It's not like it doesn't feel like it was fluffed up for a movie. I feel what? like for that subgenre of thing that may be otherworldly attacking people, there are other films I'd rather watch. You know what I mean? 
No. If that makes sense. So, so a mutant baby that makes noises like one of the killer tomatoes doesn't really work for you, or it does. It totally does. See, I like the premise a lot. I I think that the 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 premise is is really interesting, and uh, it actually like reminded me of one of the first scripts that I ever actually finished that was about mutant babies. And it's, it's, of course it's terrible, but it, it reminded me of that I hadn't thought about it in years, but I was like, holy shit, mutant baby. Mm. And yeah, but it was like, uh, focused on a factory of discarded mutant babies that, uh, that would have been close to the premise of the third movie in this series. Oh, yeah. yeah. You said the island. I did like the whole bit at the end where there was like another one was born in Seattle. <laughs> I did like that. <laughs> Which that. That carries into the sequel, by the way. So is it directly right after this, or is there like it time? Because in the sequel, they mention that mutant baby in Seattle also, but they're in Arizona. What? So they're already Why on they like the, Seattle? They're, right, they're but there's the a character that comes into play that was one of the parents mm-hmm. of that So baby. it's sort of like a, a lost story in the series is what happened with the Seattle baby, because they've already moved past that by the time they get to the second movie. Although it is referenced. Well, I think you'd know by that character's motivations that how that went, actually. You don't really need to tell that story, but... The Seattle baby ended up not killing anybody. It just grew up and and pioneered grunge music. So, Okay. any rate, it picks up the pieces from the first one and kind of creates a good sequel based off of the premise and... It's interesting, and it's my favorite of the three, actually. I love the first one, but the, the second one, I love the pacing a lot more, and it just you yeah. just become engrossed into it. It flows right better. I think it says something about Cohen as a writer that he didn't take the easy route and do the Seattle story, that he sort of moved right. straight past Yeah, you it. could easily have just you repeated ex- the same. Something yeah. you were expecting to happen didn't, and goes in a different direction. And the same for the third. I never would have predicted the third going the way it did. I don't think any of the characters did either. No, no, <laughs> probably I'm not. I'm just assuming because they're on a well, as, island. Well, as always, like a th- any third movie in a series, you have to make it something completely different, or it's just retread of the same thing over and over again. And there was almost a nine-year gap between those movies too. So yeah. you, you kind of have to do something. You can't just do a straight remake like <clears throat> 2009, where they attempted <laughs> to do that. How, how involved was Cohen in that 2009? remake was he i don't i don't think he was hands-on i think it was just one of those glorified executive producer credits possibly because he you know created Hmm. it i never saw it i don't know i think he has a screenplay credit and that's as far as it goes but i never saw. well i mean he wrote the the original uh he just passed away in 2019 didn't he right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah just like a couple months after my january marathon where i watched Everything he ever did. God damn it! It wasn't. It wasn't As related. If to, I couldn't think you could be any cooler, Nathan. I thought that was a Larry from the Three Stooges marathon. It was Larry Cohen. <laughs> it was both. Or Larry. I was Storch. watching some of the short subjects in between. You know. I, maybe you're going back and hitting the the entire Hello Larry DVD box set. Perhaps yes. Maybe that was it. Yes. Well, you know, I love Donna Wilkes, so especially that first season. <laughs> yeah. So we have Jason. Are you a, you you had to be a fan of this? You've seen the sequels. Hmm. Again, I think like you. I think I was. 
I think I was, was more a, a fan. Glowing review. Uh huh. Well, well, no, I mean, it's not one of those things that I I go back and watch often. I think, yeah, I think the second one is probably the best one of the three. It just it isn't one of those things that I would go back and revisit regularly. So, Jason, do you have a favorite Larry Cohen flick? One that you've seen more than anything. God Tell Me Too is absolutely the most bonkers movie I think I've. I've it's in my top ten easily just because it is so bizarre. You try explaining that movie to anybody, and they're like, "Wait a minute! Whoa, 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 whoa! What? He does what? There's a what? Yeah. I don't know how easy that one is to find these days. Oh, the, there's tons of like um, shitty various DVDs of it. Like I've seen so many different kinds. Like all, mm-hmm. you know, the all region, yeah. like. There's a weird copyright issue with that where people think it's public domain and then they put out the worst imaginable versions. How could that have happened? How could it have been mistaken for a public domain? Did thing? the same thing with the stuff. The stuff is like that. I've seen multiples really? of dead heat. Um, yeah. oh, you're talking about the top 10 media releases. No, it's, I, I don't even know what, I couldn't tell you what, it, who put them out. It was just ones that I would randomly find. Like, and I'm talking like 10, 12 years ago at pawn shops yeah. and, uh, pop it in and like sometimes like for instance um the stuff had the first like three minutes cut out of the front it was on a dvd very strange did cohen just make mm. some so bad like, the or something that... hmm? no i think what he's talking about there are some questionable because he mentioned dead heat and that's new yeah. world pictures the same as the stuff okay. there's some questionable releases out there of that and they're imports yes but yeah, yeah. hmm but the whole God told me to, I'm not certain what the situation is on it, but there is a really great Blu-ray from Blue Underground if you want a superior copy. Who did the recent... I'm not sure if it's still in print or not. But Was it Arrow or Severin or somebody did their box set for It's Alive, the three movie set? That was, screen, it was Shout Factory, Screen Shout Factory. Factory. Is it yeah. Shout Fa- okay. Yeah. Those are yeah. great because they all have Cohen's commentary on it where he goes through the history of it. He, of all three movies. It's fantastic. Yeah. And particularly on the third one where he talks about how they were just like drunk on the boat, like James Dixon. There's a scene where he's just fucking laughing hysterically at Michael Moriarty <laughs> and while well, he's singing and it's just in the movie. It's, it's, it's great. So you can tell they're just a bunch of friends having fun, you know? Can we talk about Charlie and his intentions? Sure. Am I the only one that felt it, he was way too enthusiastic and eager to hang out with his friend's kid? I got Someone's... the impression it was like a a relative of sorts. Really? That's I how I took it. Or I know they didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. Well, whenever they were first like, you're going to go over to Charlie's house and he's going to take you to school and all that stuff. I thought Charlie was the boy's friend and, you know, like of his same age and he was going oh, over okay. to his That's family's house. So whenever he, they dropped him off with this adult, this grown ass man. <laughs> yeah. Who's very alert and awake at this time, whenever they're on their way to the hospital and they're dropping him off and he's just like, Hey, and they're like waving. He's like, Hey, see you later. Yeah, I took it as like an uncle. Like maybe it was a sibling yeah, he's or like something a like that. Honorary uh, uncle. He's just like a friend of the family and they've, they've known this is going to happen. So he's, that's why he's prepared. I think. Okay. Yeah, and I'm sure he, they called ahead and said, hey, we're getting ready to head to the hospital. So he probably had time to fully wake up. 
And in 74, it was okay to just slap kids on the ass whenever to tell them to get in the car. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm being legit. Like that is that it seems like that's of that era, but it's still like very, what? I wouldn't know from personal experience, but I suppose it was okay. I don't remember any, anybody saying anything about that. You were an adult in 74. I was just curious how many Uh, asses you spanked. Get in the car. (laughs) I don't want to get into that. (laughs) Okay. That's, the that's car or the? <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. But yeah, I, I just it, he felt very. You detected something sinister eager. there, maybe that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't read that like that no, at all. I think that would have been one too many things to put in the movie. <laughs> maybe they started to, and then they abandoned. Yeah, I don't know. But maybe it really tacked to on it, to but... the not being able to trust um, things that you should mm. be able to normally depend on. I'm just so I'm not like, entirely clear normally, why the brother was in the movie at all, really, but okay. It, yeah, because um, whenever he ran home and he was going into the basement, I was hmm. like, oh shit, he's about to get shot, or Charlie's gonna pop in and he's gonna get shot, because dad's going down there with the gun to shoot the ba- to shoot the baby. Didn't think I'd say that. That would have been an interesting <laughs> plot point if he but actually shoots. I, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. what I thought was gonna happen. It was gonna be an accidental thing there, and but uh nope. Hmm. Missed opportunity, maybe. But to uh, Katie's point about the mistrust of adults, um, yeah, you've got now Charlie has to like keep him away from the television or any sensationalism about this mm-hmm. incident because everything's fine. And even John Ryan's told him, "Oh, the baby's fine. He's just not coming home yet." You know. He's not. Yeah. So it is. It is odd, but then you have that mistrust to where, well, now I have to play that game and. I'm lying to you and not telling you everything. Yeah. How do you recover from that story? How do you tell your kid he's fine? He's just not coming home yet. And somehow bridge that into when I said fine, let me be clear what I had here. Um, he's got a bigger hat size than you do, son. <laughs> we had to sell him to the zoo. Well, I just feel like when you're a child, your parents could backpedal on things and you would still accept it for what it was. Yeah. Whereas when you're older, you're like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you, you know? Like, why are you bullshitting me, Grandma? Especially if it's your parents. This one's got a because tail. You're not fooling me. <laughs> Who are you trying to bullshit, Granny? <laughs> <laughs> so, Katie, you going to check out the sequels or no? I may. This October. Tack on Joe, more horror movies I haven't seen. No, actually, I, I would going. be interested. I'm but also going to watch the remake because I like to see how shitty remakes are. Well, well you'll have to report back to us. <laughs> I've not. Have you seen well, it, Jason? No, I have not. I'm going to be honest. I may not because it looks like the only way you can buy it is on DVD for $45. And I don't know if I want to do that. What? Guaranteed not going to be worth oh. that. The one that I found, I found one at a uh, game exchange and it was $5. So I'll go back and get outrageous. that. I'll still, still go get it, watch it, send it to Katie, and then she and then can I send can it back it. to me, and then I'll it's, just slip it. <laughs> it's not, it is not five times better than Star Odyssey. They got no business selling that thing for five bucks. <laughs> but ironically, Star Odyssey, when you really think about it, is... It is both worthless and priceless at the same time, yeah. A Star Odyssey would be, yes. It's alive! Yes, let's wrap this thing up, mercifully. It's worth Shoot watching. This baby in the head. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> no. We might, I love it now. We'll get the babies back. 
bring the For a second, I thought Jason was doing his impression of John Ryan doing Walter Brennan. John Ryan or John P. Ryan? John P. Ryan, it's the same dude. Call back. Shit, he shut me down. Okay, I'm going to go, guys. (laughs) No, no, no. Don't make fun of family. If nothing else, it's Alive 2, and if you're a Michael Moriarty fan, 3. And the stuff. The stuff you got you gotta oh. be you know i mean come on you get to hear him go they're human beings my child's a human being you son of a bitch Perfect. that's it i'm gonna watch it tonight and with and with that absolutely shocking michael moriarty impression yeah. it's time to draw yeah. this episode to a close thank you all for listening yeah. we'll see you next time <laughs> it the show is over for now the smooth thrills radio hour is a production of ghostcraft and is recorded live in dallas texas if you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode please email them to autopilot at smooth enjoy the rest of your day has been a ghost craft presentation.